Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed number 49, 7x7. I am non-seven-tailed Kyle Gold. Hey, I'm Cam Hirosaki, <laughs> the Christian to his Gloria. Wow, bringing in the Green Day references. Yes, well, you're, totally, been, you're totally Gloria, by the way, and not just I? because you're a girl. Wait, that came out wrong. <laughs> Damn it! Wow, that, seriously, I've just like stuck my head on the train tracks for that one. <laughs> um, wow. You know, it, it has been an exciting week since our last podcast, but it hasn't been quite that exciting, I, I must say. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm tempted to say something like, once we get our pants off, you'll see who's the girl, but I don't think I would want to say that, because I can't quite tell what that means. I, I don't want to know either. <laughs> anyway, welcome. We're um, We're back again for another fun episode of recording before we head off to Denver in the Mile High Live Unsheathed episode to be held at Rocky Mountain Fur Con. Ooh, um, which is not across from a mall. Which is not across from a mall, now sadly. Now I'm sad again. Aww. But you're going to be sad all over again. <laughs> it's time for a sad otter showcase. But as we learned, you should not focus on what is not there, but you should focus on having fun with what is there. That again sounds like you're advocating homosexuality or <laughs> heterosexuality. I think I'm just advocating opportunistic sexuality. But. Ooh, okay, I can do that. Speaking of Rocky Mountain Furcon, I'm. Oh. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Lesson, podcast listeners do not give your otter an excess of alcohol before the podcast. He should be imbibing it during the podcast. It's just what I'm doing. Which, well. You're doing that also. It's not my fault there's corn in it. <laughs> wow. I'm just not going to even go It is there. delicious, but yeah. You know what the readers use their imagination on that one. Listeners, readers. Listeners, yeah. Wow. Okay. I'm not drunk. I've had like four <laughs> sips of this thing and that's it. Which just reminds me of the kids in the hall skit with the... Uh, Dave Foley as the mad scientist where he says, I'm not mad. I'm not mad. But I am going mad, so there'll be a discount. <laughs> uh, I remember, like, wow, that, that's so weird to think, because like, like, I already think of news radio as ancient. Well, Kids in the Hall was before and then, that, yeah. And going back even further, it's just like, whoa, that's old school. You want to know old school? Dave Foley was also in the It's Pat movie. <sighs> oh, my God. <laughs> My brain had blocked that out. Yeah, there was a movie. It's like, really? Like, that was just like, like, even the sketch was just the same joke over and over again. Like, how do you turn that into a movie? You you, you don't. The the only thing they did that was actually even remotely inventive with it was introducing Pat's significant other, Chris. (laughs) But hadn't hadn't Pat referred to Chris, like, on the show Yeah, but they actually introduced, I think it was Dana Carvey in a kind of, weird blonde wig and it was very amusing 
And by very amusing, I mean it got a chuckle. Anyway, we have a we have not much to report during the week. No. Um, I'm working on out of position two. I got a lot of good feedback from people. Um, working on doing some editing for that, and we're going to have a very exciting live show at Rocky Mountain. But I think we will probably already have had it by the time this airs. So I'm not going to tell people to come to it. Yeah. But thank you all the people who did come to it because it was awesome seeing you there. (laughs) To use the future perfect tense, if you will have come to Rocky Mountain Furcon, it will have been nice to meet you. Yes. And we particularly want to thank our two contestants on the Pyramid Game who were such good sports throughout. (laughs) Big shout-outs to insert winner here. Uh, it will. It'll go well with corn. What doesn't? <laughs> and how? Anyway, we've got a few letters here. Uh, I will start out. Hey there. Recently I read through Fang Volume 1, and one of the stories got stuck in my thoughts for the wrong reason. Although it was a nice and interesting story, I had a really hard time working out the world and setting. I just found it confusing and couldn't make any sense of it inside the context of my logically thinking mind. For example, one of the side side character's mother is hinted at being a breeding dog for its owners, yet all the characters have houses and wear clothes. My question is, is this a fault on my part? the reader unable to grasp the concepts of the world and its characters, or is this inconsistencies within the concept of the setting on the writer's part? Also, were there any stories that you found hard to understand the established world? An avid reader and listener, Ray Farr. That's Ray Farr, not Pray Farr. Yeah, well, it feels like it should be something backwards, but backwards it's Raffier, which I don't think is anything... Raffier. Raffier. Raff, Raff. I am. I have. I'm embracing my inner canid, which is different than the canid that's inside me. <laughs> Hello. But yeah, this uh, brings up an important point, which is as a writer, you need to make sure that you're giving the reader enough information to make sense of what it is you're trying to say. Uh, in this case, it does sound like I would not blame the reader for not understanding what's going on in this instance. Right, and I would agree with that. I think a lot of times, and I'm just going on my own experience here, writers have a good grasp on the part of the world that they're specifically writing in, Yeah, but they don't quite know what's going on outside it, and they think, oh, this would be a cute concept, and they sort of toss that concept in, and other people jump on it and say, well, what? but what does that mean for the rest of the universe, for the rest of the world that the story's right. in? And I believe, actually, you had that happen with a piece of Summerhill, with one of the feedback bits to it, where someone pointed out, and I think you mentioned this on a previous podcast, but someone pointed out, hey, what would this mean to this other character? And you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's true. So, I don't, I, I would say I would not blame the reader on that part. I know people uh, occasionally do have very logically thought out worlds and over explaining the world is also a pitfall to avoid yes well i was going to say there are people that have very complex and logically thought out worlds and they'll only give you a piece of it at a time but they know how it all fits right but if they don't give you enough information to make that bridge then 
you have no way of understanding how it all fits together. Right. However, it sounds in this case like it's a little bit odd, and maybe it it just needed to be explained a little more. Can you think of any other stories where the world didn't really make sense to you? Uh, hmm. Other than in, like, things that are supposed to be surreal, which are the only things that are coming to mind right at the beginning, let me think. Because I can't think of anything offhand, at least nothing that's been published. I've had, I've read fan fiction where it's kind of like, oh. Oh, yeah. You know, apart, well, yeah, surrealist or absurdist stuff. And a lot of times, if it's absurdist, it's going to be funny. So, like, Terry Pratchett stuff. Right. Doesn't seem to follow really any rules to the world. But he explains the rules as he goes. But Right. But he makes things up and then explains them. And right. Douglas Adams also. Right. Which I'm more familiar with than Pratchett. But. I was going to say, like, thinking of worlds where, like, the way it's written, it doesn't make sense. I'm just coming back to Kevin and Kel again. <laughs> yeah, which is a good one, actually. Yeah. We, and we've talked about that, yeah. but I'm not sure if we've talked about it on the podcast. We, we did. It was, uh, like, three or four weeks ago. Did we? Okay. Yeah. About, like, the whole like why like why would this be a societal construct where it's okay to eat people like that right. doesn't make sense and it's again i think that's something where you when you said before like oh this would be a cute idea and it's just like well until you think through the actual ramifications of it in which case you realize that would rapidly be like a huge problem right. and society would adapt to prevent you know, being eaten by other people from being something you would have to worry about every day of your life. Right. Well, I would. And there's, there's other things like I was talking, there was, this was some fan written fiction online where, um, the name of the country was something like, um, Jackaland or something like that. And it was, but the, the species that inhabited the country were like in the name of the country. And I was actually talking to Mr. Foosball about it. And he pointed out that the way a country gets its name is like, if, if you're a race of jackals, you're not going to call your country jackal land. You're going to call it something else that identifies it because you're all jackals. So why would you call your country the land of the jackals other people would call it the land of the jackals but that's not the name you would give it right right you see and he pointed out that his country england was the land of the anglos which is what the invaders called it oh that's right and then they moved in and but um look at so, america right named for <laughs> yeah. a Named for a guy who didn't have as good a publicist as Christopher Columbus. Or, I'm sorry, who had a better publicist yeah. than Chris Columbus. Because otherwise it would be the United States of Columbia. Yes, and we'd be all drug lords. Oh, right. wait, we are. <laughs> Just the wrong drug, I think. <laughs> be like, I'm thinking like, like a, like on a resume or a CV, like, drugs are. <laughs> um, but furry porn, my anti-drug. But yeah, I haven't seen... Um, I can't think offhand of a world that didn't make sense to me. I'm trying to think of movies, too. There's a couple yeah. cases where when you think through it, you're just like, well, they tossed something in for a visual gag, but if you try to think about it in the context of the world, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But generally, I haven't run into that too much. Like, I'm thinking of movies where like the rules of the world are actually explained well. Like Beetlejuice just came to mind for that. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. Uh, 
a more recent, Back to the Future, I thought, oh, yeah, did a really future. good job of explaining the rules. A more recent example, I think, would be Inception. Yeah. I think they do a good job setting that up. And th- there's a lot of good payoff for understanding the way everything works in that. Yeah, I agree. Also, Ellen Page, she's adorable. She is. Yay. And Cillian Murphy. Oh, yeah, cool. Those <laughs> eyes. I could stare at those all day. Yes. Her. That's how he traps you. Yes. That it. Ooh, hi. <laughs> now, now I'm getting back to our civilly and metaphor episode. And it's like, he stared into his face and immobilized as if staring into the face of Killian Murphy. <laughs> uh, why, why don't you read the next letter? Yes. Hi, boys. This is a more... <laughs> I know. <laughs> this is more of a movie question. What do you guys think of modern day adaptations of older works, both film and literature? <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to just try to read this normal. I'm a I thought that's person. what you were doing. <laughs> 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 I think the author has officially flustered himself, which is really entertaining. You guys can't see it, but his web pods are all, like, twitchy, and it's very amusing. He's no, not no, going to be able to finish the letter now. Now I want to, like, finish reading the rest of this as, like, Jack McBrayer. <laughs> wow. This may be the hardest letter we've ever had to read. It's so short. Okay. So <laughs> Just to, keep to doing recap, that voice. This is more of a movie question. What do you guys think of modern-day adaptations of older works, both film and literature? I'm a big fan of H.G. Wells and thought that Steven Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds was a pretty faithful adaptation. Though it did feel like Hot Tub Time Machine diverted from the plot of the original story too much. From Lovejoy. You had a problem with the science of Hot Tub Time Machine? <laughs> I'm a big fan of H.G. Wells and thought that Steven Spielberg's version of War of the Worlds was a faithful adaptation. <laughs> I totally should have done that the first time through, but I didn't want to. You should have just done the squeaky voice. <laughs> I was trying to remember the voice I did the first time I read a letter from Lovejoy. Oh, it was very, it was very much like, Hi, boys. I'm- <laughs> Hi, everyone. <laughs> I love John Weasel. I'm here ready for Thank you, patient listeners, for suffering through our five minutes of in jokes from thirty rocking people we know, <laughs> which is essentially what that consisted of—kind of mixed all together. <laughs> anyway, adaptations. Adaptations. Tap tap um, tap. I. I saw War of the Worlds. I didn't. I don't know if I would say it was a faith. It was a. F- it was a faithful through. adaptation, but with some other stuff dumped on top of it. That's so true. That, they didn't really pull anything out. No, but the problem with having stuff dumped on top of it was that you had this other story, and then the wrap up of the War of the Worlds, which is already kind of a Deus Ex bacteria. Yeah, is Ooh, kind of comes out of nowhere for this movie it's like all of a sudden you know tom cruise has his epiphany and character change and then at the same time the bacteria kill the martians for him <laughs> oh and then the aliens die at the end like uh, yes kind of like signs only more satisfying or the andromeda strain uh, i like uh, the book well again but the 
movie again. Speaking of adaptations we didn't like, The Andromeda Strain. Um, yeah, he asked us about adaptations we do like. Um, I remember William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, but I don't remember it very well. Uh, like, no, the Baz Luhrmann one. Oh, the Romeo plus Juliet? Yeah. Okay. I thought um, you were like, thinking like the the, like, the 70s one. No, and I'm trying to think what else. I didn't see... Was it The King of Scotland was the one where it was like Macbeth, but it took place in a fast food restaurant in Pennsylvania or something? Oh, I know that... Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Last King of Scotland was the Idi Amin film. There was, a, yeah. there was another one that like, took place in... Wasn't Forrest Whitaker in that? Yeah. yeah. No, there was another one that was supposed to be like Macbeth, but set in the present day, but I didn't see that one either. I know that Throne of Blood is Macbeth done by Kurosawa. Oh. Yeah, which is actually... I like that one. Uh, what else have we seen that's a new adaptation of an older work? Uh, I think generally... Scott Pilgrim's not out yet. <laughs> Although that doesn't look good. Generally, uh, I I kind of like the adaptations that people have done in modern day. But I tend to only see movies that get good reviews or movies that we hear good things about. So yeah. I'm probably biased towards thinking most things are good. And, you know, if someone did, like... You know, the Gus Van Sant Psycho I didn't see because... Oh, here's one that we were just talking about earlier, the Narnia movies. Yeah. And let's just add a bunch of battles here to a book that didn't have them. And remove all the interest and stuff. And yeah, the problem with Prince Caspian is, uh, interestingly enough, it uh, harkens back to a question that I think we read last week about the Star Wars prequels where they said episode one had no protagonist. That's mm. kind of the problem with Prince Caspian. There's no protagonist. The The yeah. four children are supposed to be, but they, they don't let really any one of them take center stage. And a lot of the book of Prince Caspian was all taken up with like Lucy's faith being tested and the right. other kids faith. And there's that whole bit where they choose to follow Aslan. Like she wants to follow Aslan, but they don't. Yeah. And then later on, they're like, oh, we should have followed Aslan, and Lucy's like... Because none of them see him but her. Right. Yeah. And so, it's like test of faith and whatnot. But that's like 30 seconds of the movie. Wow, really? Yeah, they took most of that out. They spend a lot of time focusing on Prince Caspian, but he doesn't have a character arc. He's just like, I must get my throne yeah, back. Yeah, it's like, I gotta get my, get my stuff back. Uh, yeah, what do I, I do? How do I How do I get my throne back? Okay, I fight people. They're done. Um, so, and they keep flipping around, and it really doesn't follow either of them for long enough for it to be their movie. So, I haven't seen the BBC adaptations, but I heard they were. Uh, I saw the one for Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe, and I think I saw the one for the Silver Chair. Silver Chair was interesting. That was one of the books I didn't like as much, but I grew to like it more the more I, the the sil- later on I read it. The Silver Chair was the book that always stopped me whenever I was reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. Like, I'd get to the Silver Chair and I'd just be like, ugh, like I cannot get through this book. You know, it was it was interesting because it was not, I don't think it was as good as the other books, but it certainly had some stuff to recommend it. And there's the interesting bit where they're trying to convince, they're trying to tell the witch that there's a surface world. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I don't believe you because everything you're saying is just like bigger and better imagination. You're trying to make the things in this room bigger and better. And they're like, no, 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 there's a sun. And she's like, well, tell me what the sun is. And they're like, well, it's this big ball of light in the sky and it gives light to the whole world. And she's like, you mean like the lamp in this room? 
but just bigger and better. Yeah. And they're like, okay, well, there's Aslan. And like, he's a big lion, and they describe him, and she's like, well, that sounds like my cat, only bigger and better. What else is out there? What's original? And they can't think of anything. But and, and so it becomes kind of an interesting philosophical question, like how do you tell yeah. what's real? I was going to say, in case you haven't figured it out, the thinly veiled theme for the silver chair is atheism. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it is that. And then they're saved when their friend Puddleglum steps on the fire and his foot burns and fills the room with acrid smell and smoke and her spell is broke. That was the other thing. Like, I just couldn't stand Puddleglum as a character. It's just like, ah, oh. like the whole like sequence of books up to that has like all these like really like interesting characters that sort of like are like imaginative and fun. It's like Puddleglum is just sort of like, ah, oh. he's like, like Eeyore. Really? Yeah, and I'm just like, can we get Reepicheep back? Come on. <laughs> Let's yeah, go back and to- that was okay. So that was the thing about Prince Caspian that really that bothered me is that I I could I. I don't think I would say they ruined Reepy Cheap, but they... They cheapened him? I, I didn't want to say that because it, that isn't his name. <laughs> but oh. yeah, that's what I was thinking, actually. Um, also, it was really violent. For a kid's movie, and they're, they seem to think, and they thought this in Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, too, they seem to think it's okay to show people being stabbed as long as when you pull the sword back, there's no blood on it. Oh, America. <laughs> I know. We're so... Can I say fucked up? Yes, you can. Okay. But no boobs. Right. You can't show boobs. Sword through the neck is fine, but no boobs. So, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of the difference. Is, you know, Lord of the Rings is another modern adaptation of a older work. And Lord of the Rings is compared to Narnia. I think Narnia is way too filtered through what people think audiences want to see as opposed to lord of the rings which is just how do we best portray the book yeah and i thought that you know i i enjoy the lord of the rings movies i did too yeah i i, I still enjoy tossing them on they're great background especially and great, great to watch. Gay. there's a ton of gay subtext in those movies well sure ian <laughs> mckellen and christopher lee not to mention the whole sam and frodo thing for the entire set of three movies oh yeah and mary and pippin also Frodo couldn't have gotten very far without Sam. <laughs> Embrace me lovingly in the forest while Colin watches Sam. Oh my I, god, why? I just found a carrot of just the right length. Oh my god. That's from the Very Secret Diaries. I know, I remember. Alright. Sam will kill him if he tries anything. Um, anyway. So, I guess... I don't know what other adaptations we could think of, but in general, I'm. Yeah, it it depends on who's doing it, you know. And I think that you know, I think we've given examples of ones we liked and when we don't. It's sort of, you know, if it's, it's being done competently, I'll probably like it. And you know, otherwise, I mean, like, I'm not. I guess it's more. I'm less of a stickler for faithfulness to the source material as I am of if it's gonna make a better movie to make changes or if you know you're just adding stuff because you think it's going to make it cooler and you fail like but we have no inherent objection to the use of older works to inspire modern adaptation oh the uh the cg beowulf from a couple years ago that kind of sucked did it yeah i didn't like it Mm. it's basically like look we used cg to recreate angelina jolie looking like angelina jolie it's like okay why 
<laughs> do you know how much we had to do to recreate our lips? It takes up so much processing power. All right, all right. Stop fixating on Angelina Jolie's lips. Oh, I love Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Sorry. Please go on. I will. Hello, Otter Sama and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Aw. Sama's connecting me, sir. here. Not a first-time listener. I have a game system otter to thank for that. <laughs> Thanks, Atari. But I'm a first-time writer and emailer. I feel like an idiot it took me, like, you saying that to know what that meant. You well, be like, I can't be friends with you anymore. <laughs> you, have been, you have been drinking. I have several questions, so please allow me to whore you of your knowledge. The check's in the mail. You shut your whore mouth. <laughs> me or him? I don't know. I was just trying to make you laugh while you were drinking. My first question concerns organizational plot and characters. I am starting to write stories solo. Uh, okay. I have RP'd for five... It's much more fun with a partner. Never mind. I have RP'd for five years, and I'm used to making fairly long character sheets explaining personality, looks, prehistory, etc. Normally, this process is long and sometimes tedious for me. Now, making the leap to a different form of writing, I find myself wondering if that entire character creation process is even needed. My question is, are character sheets needed for short stories and beyond? I have used a software called VoodooPad to organize plot in the past. The software is a basically a make-your-own wiki. You type out the name of your story, and you can then have that automatically linked to another page that can have the words, plot, characters, and chapters. Each of those words can be linked to other pages, much like a wiki. Yeah, and I use, um, this is, I'm sorry, this is Kyle inserting. I use a wiki d-pad which i think i've mentioned on the podcast before to yeah, organize way back yeah to organize back in, the background back but in the day back in the single digits it's it's exactly like it sounds wiki w-i-k-i-d-p-a-d just search for that and there's it's a little wiki on your pc i which, have a notebook <laughs> and which, by notebook i don't mean a small laptop computer i mean like a little like bound thing and i write in a pencil which I was was wondering if Disney were to update some of their rides, if they would make the wiki, 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 wiki room. <laughs> Rest in peace, uh, before, Phil Hartman. Before uh, before Hirosaki comes across the table at me for that. Anyway. <laughs> you're, like, easily five feet away. Now, plot-wise, yeah, but you're a slinky otter. Now, plot-wise, I personally have to lay down metaphoric pencil marks to follow, or I will effectively make... Thought jambalaya. Wow, that's spelled gumbalia, but I think he means jambalaya. When you said jambalaya, I was just like, oh, that's what that means. Now, I don't always have to do this entire process of mapping out my thoughts, but it sure helps. My question is, is going through this organizational process overkill? I remember a tidbit where I think Kyle stated that he doesn't write out a path or guidelines when writing. If that is so, then holy moly, what a wonderful mind he has. Well, that's not strictly true, but... I guess it's better than a beautiful mind. Yeah, I guess. Uh, next, how much is too much? I have heard and read many times that the reader's imagination is an author's best tool. Now, I am going to specifically talk about combat here. How specific should the author get when writing a fight scene? I mean, is writing a one to two paragraph description of one movement of a character too long for a story? I know it is perfectly fine for RPing, but I'm just too unsure and would like clarification. Now, switching off of question mode, well, maybe not. How many times have you reworked an idea of a story before actually writing it down on paper? That's a question. I know. That's, that's like, like it even in the, the same mark. sentence. 
your switch is broke. I set forth a goal to write a story that is about novel length. Yes, it probably isn't recommended for a beginner writer to do that, but I set goals high. The story was going to be focused on two wolves who work for a mafia family as contract killers. This evolved into another idea focusing on what if contract killers had conventions. Now in its current form, it is about events that go on at a convention. So how many times have you reworked a story idea before actually putting it to paper? Sorry for a wall of text, and hopefully it isn't too much of an eyesore to read. Thanks for the help in advance, and keep up the terrific work both on the air and on paper. Have a great morning slash afternoon slash evening. Oh, and I know y'all did a horror writing episode last year, so I'm sending in this next bit of information regarding horror writing. If people go to horror.fictionfactor.com, they will find a particularly useful webpage with articles on all things horror fiction. From a tricky yote, Artie Coyote. So, a lot of this seems to be broken down into how much do you need to organize before writing as kind of the first couple-ish questions then how much description and how often have you reworked a story idea so go ahead well okay first off i'm gonna say i have seen these like rp like profiles that people write and they're like five thousand words long all describing like what their character looks like how they react you know personality wise different situations and like all their backstory and, like, I don't think... I'm amazed that anyone has the patience to read that. It's like, just let me interact with you. Right. It's like, I don't want to have to go, like, do homework before I can chat with your character online. Like, so, you're saying, like, oh, like, this is a like tedious process to write this out. Well, it's a tedious process for people to read, so don't worry about that. Yeah, um, and my first instinct is to say, if it's tedious for you... And we've said this many, yeah. many times. If it's tedious for you, it's going to be ten times more tedious for the reader, so don't do it. Yeah. Uh, and he's talking about, like, oh, is, like, writing up a character sheet for a short story, like, is that necessary? It's like, well, are you going to stick it at the end for the reader to look at, or are you just keeping it, like, for yourself in mind? I, my impression um, was that it's more just for himself. Yeah. Honestly, for a short story... You can probably just scribble down like a few sentences about like this is kind of what like the character's personality is like and just things to keep in mind. Um, we had a worksheet once that was like a bunch of questions that you would ask about the character, like what yeah. was what's their favorite color, what what was their favorite place to eat growing up, yeah. um, what's their favorite memory of a birthday, what's their favorite memory of their parents. But and I think just, it's more for novel stuff too. Uh, uh, it's for any anything that where you want to get a handle on a character. Um. Generally, I mean, I don't, I don't always write stuff down before I start a project. But if it's long and involved, then when I get into it, I have to write stuff down. Yeah. But in general, I mean, the rule for how much prep work you have to do is the same as the rule for anything in writing. Whatever works for you. If you're trying to plot out your stuff and you're just bored and you just want to get to writing the story, go write the story. Yeah. If you're trying to write the story and you're like, I can't write the story because I need all this stuff sketched out in advance, go sketch it out in advance. Do whatever works for you to get your story written. Yeah, I mean, it's your brain. Nobody's going to be seeing this but you. Yeah, exactly. Do what works for you. And, I mean, there's no, there is no right or wrong answer to that. Um, Real briefly on the question of how much description to do to write in a combat scene... I would tend, I mean, you want to 
describe enough that the reader has a picture of what's going on, but yeah. not so much that you spend two paragraphs describing how the character swung his arm. Yeah, because it's like, like two paragraphs to describe a single action. It's like, you might just... It depends oh, that's what fine. that action RPing, is. But when you're RPing, you're usually going back and forth with somebody else, and the result is something that's not pre-planned, and it's something that you're sort of hashing out with for the with the other character, or the player of the other character. You know, if you're writing a fight scene, in theory, you should be knowing how it goes the whole way through. Yeah. And again, you know, and maybe sometimes you'll surprise yourself. It depends uh, on the action. I mean, yeah. leaping from a wall down into a crowd of bandits that you're trying to attack, you could probably spend at least a paragraph on that, maybe two. But, you know, thrusting a sword at a bandit is not worthy of two paragraphs. No. Especially if it's just like some random bandit, right? And like an unnamed character, you know, sort of thing. I mean, you know, random bandit would be a great name for a band. Oh, it would actually. It's too bad we already have a rock band name for ourselves. That's true. Uh, reworking stories. I think we've both done that. Yeah, yeah. Summerhill started as like a short piece that was going to be a scene on a boat. Yeah, and that's what it was going to be. And now it's a thing, a monstrous, horrible thing that's got to be on my control. Like the Kraken in the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Wow. Wow. That was a bad way to take that. Mm-hmm. Please, please regard Summerhill more favorably than the second or third Pirates of the Caribbean movie. This is my What about Clash of the Titans? I didn't see the new one. Uh, I'm told it's interesting to have Aslan say, release the Kraken the thing is, every time I see that clip, all I can think of is this one episode of The Daily Show where they're talking about the Elena Kagan confirmation. And it does, it's like, release, release the Kagan! <laughs> like, in, like, that, like, like Jerry Lewis. Like the Jerry Lewis. Oh, voice. geez. And this, but it's still like Liam Neeson there. And, and now I can never see that movie because I'm just going to be thinking of like Elena Kagan coming out of the ocean. Wow. Nice one. You've effectively removed any desire I have to use release the Kraken as a sexual metaphor. That's right. By, uh, you know, throw suspected lesbians in there, and suddenly we're all good. <laughs> but, yeah, most of my... Any story that you write, by the time you reach the end, unless it's like one of those short stories where you know exactly what's going on with it, but any story of any length, by the time you reach the end, it's going to be probably either going a different way than you'd envisioned, or it's going to come out a different way or it's about something different and that's just how writing is yeah and i can probably count on like one hand the number of times i've written a story where it's gone like i'm gonna write a story that's this and then i did that and then i did uh, what? yep oh. and thanks for the shout out on the horror side also if uh, people want horror resources again that's horror.fictionfactor.com uh, I have not gone there. I cannot, the horror. I cannot personally endorse that site, but it is recommended by a reader, and the reader's a friend of Atari, so he has at least a little bit of cred. <laughs> you have otter cred. You do have otter cred. And that's going to do it. We uh, got through another round of questions. Keep sending them in. Unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Kyle on FA. I'm Kyle Gold on LiveJournal and Twitter. I post most of my stuff on LiveJournal. I am Cam Harasaki on all three of those. I 
post most of my stuff to FA, but I link it all through LiveJournal. Yeah, so you can follow us on either one of those. Yeah. And we're also unsheathed on FA. We are, with our pretty icon. And despite this being the 7x7 seven seven episode, we still only have two tails between us. Ooh. I wonder who the lucky people is. Three counting Kit. Oh, like Kit's in the middle now? You said he's Oh, I see. Do you see what I did there? I, I do took what see. you said and I made it a sexual innuendo. I do see <laughs> what you did there. I am crafty. You really just uh, took that in your muzzle and made it your own. Yep. Hey, man, I just drank a corn and rum smoothie, so I can be forgiven for whatever's going through my head right now. I think that I think Kit may have to publish a recipe for that one. People are going to be asking about it. Step one, blend corn. Step two, add rum. Step Drink. three, give to Otter. Yeah. <laughs> it really, in Kit's defense, that's actually really good. And, like, it, it's not just corn. Corn was only one ingredient of a number of things. <laughs> when you drink enough rum, you can't even taste it anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's what's Poor the kid. what's the line from the Ratatouille? Like once you once you suppress your gag reflex, you a whole new world whole of new world opportunity of, opens up to you. Yeah, that could. I was going to say that's our blowjob reference for the. I thought taking it into your muzzle and making it your own was a good one too, but we'll go with suppressing the gag reflex. That's more like you know like. The, like, that's like a blowjob of comfort plus two. I will take it into my muzzle and make it my own. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. You're still in RP mode from that last letter. <laughs> and you have, do you have like blow jo- plus two blowjob skills? I hope I have more than a plus two. I don't know. What if? Plus- Come on, that would be like I only had like a fourteen charisma. Plus two might be. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's more than a plus that two. That is true. That is like a plus five. Oh, yeah, see, now we're talking. I have skill-focused blowjob. Yes, you do. And I think the plus five, you know, that, that gives a, you a much I, lower roll to what kind I of prob- size you I can pr- take. I probably get a plus two species bonus for being an otter and being able to naturally hold my breath for long periods of time. Uh-huh. Um, then, you know... I've got, you know, lots of ranks dumped in this. Why are you making me talk about this? <laughs> I don't, I'm just, I'm being entertained. You're asking me leading questions because you know I'm going to go off on this horrible tangent, which exposes, like, A, my level of absurd geekiness, and B, my, you know, penchant for giving head. And well, I don't how know does if it, I'm comfortable with both of those things at the same time. So how, how does your modifier affect the size you're able to take? Oh, shit, I don't even want to think about that. Actually, yes, you know, you size do. modifiers get actually like really interesting because like they scale at a strange rate. <laughs> it's like large is plus one, huge is plus two. <laughs> Zausch is like plus four. Uh, well, technically, like I mean, not Zausch, Zausch himself. I was going to say I mean, like, Zausch, the character would probably just be large, so that would be like a like a minus one to AC, but like a plus one for like any size related benefits. It's not until you get to like Colossal where you have like a plus 10. Right. Gargantuan's plus five, huge is plus two, large is plus one. So what would heels be? <sighs> He'd probably be large. If he's like seven and a half feet tall, yeah. Right. So, you so your plus five modifier would help you with that. Yeah. I mean, apparently it did. 
you rolled successfully. I mean, we also have to know like how many ranks have I put into the skill, and you know. Oh, I think what we are know the that. situational modifiers? I probably have a minus two for being so nervous, because you know you can always throw a minus two. Uh, oh shoot, what's it called? Circumstance modifier, circumstance penalty minus two. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm just thinking, like, there's a fox in the other room, and he knows what's going on right now, and that's making me nervous and uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, but we, you could say that at just about any time. All right. Thank you all for listening. I'm sorry Man, to subject I made it through, you like, to... so much of this episode being normal. <laughs> it just ends with, like, three minutes of... Damn, <laughs> <laughs> Hirosaki, I'm done. Good night, and keep writing. 